0: Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments. Now available on your Amazon Alexa.
1: Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be discussing a number of UK equities as well as the key market themes out there at the moment. And to do that, uh, we have with us Alan Green. Alan, very much welcoming you to the podcast this morning. How are you?
0: I'm very well, Jonathan. How are you?
1: Yes, yes, very, very well. A very interesting and busy week we've we've actually had uh, in markets, so we're we're in for a good podcast today. So you've picked out a couple of stocks that we're going to discuss a little bit later on in the podcast, but we're going to cover first of all what's happening in markets, Alan. We spoke last week and we were looking at this key level around 7,600, just above, and the FTSE 100 is quite a key level of resistance. If it was broken, we could see a move to the upside. We haven't quite got above that yet. We're seeing strength in Europe and the FTSE somewhat underperforming today. And I think that's very much down to the ECB, what they did last week, and the jitters they caused in European shares, which are now starting to to bounce back and, and outpacing uh the, the FTSE one hundred there. But sort of looking at what's happening there in the FTSE one hundred, Alan, when you know we we spoke about interest rates and of course we spoke about interest rates in, in some detail. Mm. I mean, but for you looking at markets, I mean, is it is it just a case that we're We've we've seen so far this year the stories inflation the stories interest rates. I mean, we're not going to go into the ins and outs of it because we've covered that on the podcast previously. But I mean, do you do you see that being the narrative in markets going forwards? It,
0: it certainly seems that way for the short term, John. Yeah, and of course with the uh, with interest uh, with, with inflation in particular, which is the key concern behind it all. Um, and of course, interest rates have been raised to counter that, but that's that the rise in inflation is really largely uh due to due to gas and energy prices and of course you know some people say we're being held ransom by russia and uh, and and and, uh, and the east uh, in regard to gas prices that may well be the case but um you know it's uh the bigger companies can manage the process, the bigger companies can uh, can work with their customers. But of course, we've seen a raft of smaller energy providers go to the wall and that's uh, created um, another set of problems. And of course, we've got a very strong oil price as well. So all of those really are sort of driving inflation. So um, as we well certainly as, as the northern hemisphere moves into warmer weather, that's going to be less of an issue because there'll be less gas that's used. Um, so, you know, perhaps the prices uh, will moderate. And also, you know, the Ukraine crisis seems to be, I want not say a storm in a teacup, but uh, I think I think there's a handle on it. I think it's just uh, um, bluster and puff from Russia, uh, quite frankly, uh, with little else. But uh, of course, uh, you know, <laughs> we may well find they've invaded this afternoon. But um, yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's going to be an issue for the longer term. So I think we're I think and I hope we're seeing inflation peaking Um so we've seen two interest rate rises now as well. Um, and, of course, that means savers that do have cash are going to see a slightly better return on that, which is always good. Um, and as of yet, I don't think uh, that there'll be major problems uh, for people uh, with, uh, w- w- with, uh, w- with mortgages in, in terms of uh, passing the price increases onto borrowers. So as we come out, as we sort of emerge from the winter into warmer weather, I think uh, the first year looks qu- quite well placed, and there's certainly a lot of uh, uh, th- there's a lot of positive energy across global markets. Um, uh, and of course, the, we've got the underlying drivers: the uh, the uh, clean technology industry, uh, you know, the clean tech, uh, uh, clean energy. Um, we have the infrastructure budgets in the US that are going to drive the demand for commodities. And many other factors. Uh, and of course, the, the EV and the battery industry that uh, as the automotive industry moves from the internal combustion engine to, to electric uh, uh, vehicles.
1: Yes, indeed. It's quite interesting. You mentioning their uh, demand for commodities. If you look at the FTSE 100 yesterday, uh, it was dominated the top risers. Uh, by the the mining stocks because I think there's an expectation that we're going to see you know during this period of inflation commodity prices further increase and that's going to support the the prices of miners and of course we had earnings from BP yesterday they had the highest uh, profits for, for for over a decade so that's obviously on that on the higher oil prices so yeah. for the FTSE 100 that looks like to, it's going to be relatively well supported by that the high uh, waiting towards commodity stocks, and I just want to go back to the uh, what you mentioned there about inflation the you know the, the cost of living crisis that we 're seeing at the moment because we actually did see some data from the u k which is particularly interesting in the Halifax house prices this yeah. week so we 've seen a record high on uh, house prices uh, now average house price in the u k is some two hundred and seventy six thousand. But there was a word of uh, caution around this data. That you know, yes, we, we we've got record prices. That's mainly down to a lack of supply in the market. But we have this cost of crisis, sorry, cost of living crisis, coming in now, where you know people are seeing higher bills. Uh, they're they're seeing uh, food price inflation, and adding to the mix now, albeit a marginal increase in uh, in interest rates. That there, there may be some pressures. On uh mortgage payments going forward. So you know there, there's a a bit of a cloud over the outlook of UK house prices. But we've had an installment from one of the house builders this morning, Alan, in, in barrack developments, uh that could give a little bit more insight into actually what's happening in the in the housing market. Started off the day very strong, trading up at about six pounds fifty. Uh, but through the morning session on uh, on Wednesday, it has uh, it has sold off quite heavily now and actually gone negative on the day £6.20 so what's been happening there
0: it's an interesting uh, um, update actually Uh, you know obviously as you said just now the housing market has just driven prices and let's not forget you know we've spoken about the likes of Barrett and uh, Taylor Wimpy beforehand and all of these uh, house housebring companies were acquiring land banks during COVID. So when prices were low, they were building up these land banks. So they have this this huge land bank that they can tap into and just and just keep building. Um, and and you you pointed out just now that you know there is uh there is a supply issue for housing. That's always been the case. Um but of course the market um ebbs and flows. That's that's the norm. So we're now seeing uh, perhaps uh, a pause for reflection. Uh, strong, you know, house price growth, point percent. I think it was the nationwide or Halifax report in January, and of course, house prices uh, uh, being where they are. But there's, um, but uh, the Barrett's, uh reported net private reservations per active outlets rising by seventeen percent. And of course, you know, we're out of lockdown now, and I think the outlook for this year is a lot better than it was pre- was last year. But um, but certainly, there's no shortage of first-time buyers coming to Barretts. But probably, yeah, some of the house buyers data and concerns over inflation weighed on the the share price. And as we as as we often see in the markets, is the old saying, "It's better to travel than to arrive." What we're probably seeing is people who've uh, uh, who've uh, seen or locked in some decent gains on Barretts shares uh, over the. Over the year, perhaps uh, certainly in the run from October, when shares were trading at six thirty-five, and of course um, there they were just, some may have sold out at the peak in January, which was seven pound sixty. But um, but the run up to the uh, results today, we've seen a topsy turvy morning in, in terms of share price performance. I imagine there's going to be some more profit taking in the days to come. But for me, uh, this is just a, a temporary blip. You know the the, the underlying macro picture for the for um, housing in the UK is still as it always was, um, and if there are higher interest rates, if um, if uh, if inflation does continue, then in order to sustain demand or, or help sustain demand, the uh, the lenders will modify. The products they're offering, mortgage products they're offering to first time buyers to ensure that uh, they continue, can continue to attract um, uh, uh, their first time buyers. But whether that will be at the same rate, of course, or not, we, we don't know. But certainly, uh, I, I regard this as little more than a blip. And really, any dip in the, in the share price, in Barrett's share price, is probably a, a good buying opportunity.
1: Yes, it is interesting uh, to see the moves in Barrett's share price so far this year, trading up at around £7.60, as we started now down at around £6.20. So I think there's an element there of uh, the market pricing in a softer housing market going forward. But you know, as you mentioned there, there's a number of measures that lenders can take, and of, and of course. Um, you know, looking at what the Bank of England are doing with with the interest rates, it, it's all on a very small scale in terms of the, you know the actual impact on markets. So I think it's uh, you know going back to this uh, situation where traders like to trade, and you know if you if you're looking at a particular uh, situation in the economy, people like to trade stocks around that. And I think that's what's happening in. Uh, the uh, housing uh, shares so far this year. And, of course, Barrett's is uh, is one of those. So it's going to be interesting to see how they uh, perform for the rest of the year going forward. So, Alan, now staying with the FTSE 100, we, we've had uh, one of the heavyweights report this morning, GlaxoSmithKline, uh, revenue up uh, 5% in the last year. And they've actually said they're going to be looking at uh, an increase in profits for the next year, of twelve to fourteen percent, but looking at the market reaction, uh, not entirely impressed. Off slightly. So, what's uh, what's happening there?
0: It's a funny old share, Glaxo. I've, uh, I had Glaxo shares some time ago, and they, they don't seem to have moved too much in the last ten years, really. But uh, but the thing is, it's a steady performer. It's got a dividend yield of just under five percent, um, and certainly it's a cornerstone of of many funds. I mean, the company's worth uh, 82, nearly 82 billion market cap. So it's it's a huge global entity. Um, but yeah, as you rightly pointed out, I mean, a great set of numbers, uh, revenues up 5% to 34 billion, just over 34 billion, double digit growth in pharmaceuticals and vaccine sales. Um, and uh, and of course, the, the underlying profits, uh, which take out the impact of asset sales, actually rose 9% to Eight point eight billion. So, um, so that's you know that that's a pretty strong performance. Um, quarter fourth quarter dividend twenty three p a share. So that's eighty p dividend total for the year. And of course, the big thing around Glaxo, one of the things that has driven the share price um, over the past few months is speculation over the consumer healthcare uh, division, which is now on course to be spun out into a standalone company. Um, uh, uh, and will we'll have more news and more detail. On that, at the end of February, Um, but of course, the 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 the, the, uh, price of all the Glaxo share price was driven higher due to speculation about Unilever coming in and uh, and making a bid, which of course it did. Um, But when Glaxo turned down uh, the Unilever bid, um, hoped they come back with a higher offer. Of course, Unilever didn't. They had a clear value. They saw how it would fit into their business. Um, and uh, and of course, they uh, Glaxo decided uh, that they could get better value through spinning it off as a standalone company. So that's still going ahead. Um, but of course, never say never. We may get an eleventh-hour offer from Unilever that then proves on that. Or of course, there may be another potential suitor in the wings too. And that's the the great thing when you get some M and A activity like this. It really spices the market up and uh, increases liquidity and volume in these shares but certainly um glaxo is an evergreen stock as as i said at the start i mean it's uh it does seem very much range bound um but you know if you pick the shares up um at the start of last year at 12 pounds you've been sitting on 16 pounds a share now so that's a nice gain and of course uh with a with a five percent dividend yield to boot
1: yes it's going to see how they uh go forward as a, as a business because there's going to be some radical shakeups there um going forward and of course that pipeline of drugs is something to keep a uh, keep a close eye on if they're going to be focusing more and more on their pharmaceutical business and of course you know the dividend there um increased uh, slightly so I don't think it uh, does anything to diminish its standing as uh, as a good income share for uh, for a portfolio so, Alan, now let's move on. So we mentioned last week uh, the UK Investor Magazine Metals and Mining Conference, which is coming up on the 22nd of February. We are talking about Cadence Minerals, who will be presenting at that last week. Uh, but we're going to touch on now another company in Sovereign Metals that will also be presenting at the UK Investor Magazine Metals and Mining events on the 22nd um so not one I don't think we've discussed on the podcast previously Alan they've actually got a very interesting uh mining process that they're working on so would you have to give us a bit more detail uh into Sovereign Metals please
0: yes of course John um Sovereign Metals are a listed company so they've been listed on the ASX under the epic code SVM for many years and listed on uh AIM uh in fact on the London market uh Last year svml is the epic code shares currently twenty twenty six p or just over twenty six p have traded as high as thirty four p so it gives the, gives the company a market cap of around a hundred million sterling and about two hundred and three million Aussie dollars um, so the the company is all about uh, rutile and it um, owns the largest undeveloped rutile projects in the world. What's rutile, you ask? Uh, well, rutile is, uh, is a critical mineral. Um, it, it, it's all about titanium. If, if we look at uh, titanium is available from, from, from two, two, two source minerals, ilmenite, which uh, contains about 45% titanium oxide. Rutile, on the other hand, contains 95% titanium oxide. So, uh, so, so being able to find a rutile resource is crucial for uh, titanium. Titanium supply. They also have uh, other applications um, uh, across a range of uh, uh, across a range of uh, applications in glass and and in in gems. But it's really titanium where the where, where the real value lies for for uh, RUTAR. So uh, RUTAR sells for about uh, $2,000 a tonne, um, and uh, it is it, there's, a, there's a great deal of value in it. But um, over the past few years, the global production has, has uh, come down from about six to 700,000 uh, tonnes per year down to um, uh, about four to five hundred tonnes, thousand tonnes a year. So there is a supply squeeze. There's a problem. And that's why we have seen the price of rutile uh, rising gradually. Um, so the applications for titanium, of course, are vast. Um, it's it's a major component in the clean technology and the the clean energy industry. For example, offshore wind farms, uh, the the uh, the, uh, the the pylons and the the turbine blades and and the mechanisms are coated with titanium, um, which obviously stops corrosion. It's in a highly uh, it's in, it's in a very, um, uh, a very sort of a, a, a corrosive environment in the sea. It's also used um, in aerospace. It, of course, titanium is incredibly light. Has a range of applications across the automotive and uh, motorsport industry, but it also is a major component in paint. So, if you think about going to uh, your DIY shop and getting cans of brilliant white paint, the brilliant the brilliant in the white actually comes from the titanium oxide that's in there. So it's a crucial, it's a crucial mineral. Um, currently uh, over the past year, the, uh, uh, the, the there are two assets or two mining, uh, two rutile assets in Africa. One is Sierra rutile in Sierra Leone that, uh, uh produced 120,000 tons, uh, last year. The other one is in Kweli in Kenya, um, which is the uh, the Kwan Asset, which uh, produced seventy six thousand tons last year. So between them, they produced over thirty two percent of global uh, production. Now, um, Soaring Metals owns the Cassia Asset in Malawi, and this is a huge area. It's uh, bigger than Zone One in London. It's absolutely vast, um, and it's estimated at the moment there are, there are some. 644 million tons of just over one percent rutile which is at the same level as the uh, Sierra rutile asset in Sierra Leone um, so uh, once this the the, 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 uh, the, the uh, asset of cassia has undergone a huge scoping study and a lot of detailed work um, and this has been really driven by the uh, the managing director dr. Julian Stevens who, is a geologist in the resources sector, and he spent uh, he spent uh, the last nine years working in Malawi, um, working with the community there. Malawi is very much uh, viewed as the warm heart of Africa, but also from an access standpoint, um, there's very easy access via road and rail from the Cassia project to to to, to a, a deep water deep water port on, on the coast. Um, but the the numbers that have come back from this project are quite incredible the net present value, or the MPV8, is is estimated at $861 million, um, giving an internal rate of return of 36%. And it's estimated that uh, once the mine is up and running, operating cost uh, per tonne mine will be about uh, just under $6 per tonne. Um, and that's uh, with 12 million tonnes per year and a 25-year mine life, estimated to deliver €161 million Euros a year um, in EBITDA for the life of the mine. So it's an absolutely enormous project. This, but even more impressive is the fact that this, this study was undertaken across just over 40% of the entire area. So there is still uh, there is still um, just under 60% still to explore and uh, and and to include in the in the assessment. So it could well be that by the time they're finished, that uh, this project will dwarf any other. Um, it'll dwarf any other retail project currently in production. So when you relate that to a market cap of 108 million, I think you can see that with a, an MPV of 861 million dollars, um, the, the company is modestly valued. If you look at uh, if you look at other mining stocks that uh, that um, have smaller assets, um, uh, particularly in Africa, you'll see a, a far higher. Valuation attributed, and I think part of that is down to the fact that um, uh, you know there are so few rutile assets around the world that um, that, uh, uh, that there isn't probably enough awareness of the importance of rutile as a provider of titanium for uh, the uses I've described. But either way, I mean this is a very exciting company, and I think um, I think it's going to offer some great upside as that project develops uh, during the year. Just want to add in as well, also within the um, asset is a graphite project, which is um, the Malagunde graphite project. Um, And again, there's uh, estimated um, uh, uh, um, 52 uh, uh, 52 tonnes per annum of graphite concentrate can be produced from the Malagunde asset. But um, that's very much uh, on the back burner, given the uh, developments uh, that are taking place with the Cassia asset.
1: Indeed, I mean, what strikes me about sovereign metals is, is, first of all, the uniqueness of the of the assets mm. in, in the our project they have there, and and of course, as you mentioned, there the e- increasing demand uh, that, that's ban- about bouncing back for the product, so that that does make for quite an exciting project to uh, keep uh, keep an eye on for investors. And as I mentioned at the beginning, they will be presenting at the UK Invest Magazine. Metals and mining conference. I'll be talking a little bit more about Rutile as well as going into more details of the assets. So, do get yourself registered for that on the UK Investor Magazine website. So, Anna, now moving on to the final stock that we're going to be discussing today BATM Advanced Communications. Uh, This is a a company I don't think we've uh, touched on on the podcast. Uh, previously, we're looking at the share price. It's had quite uh, an exciting year over the last uh, fifty-two weeks. Uh, would you be able to give us a bit more detail on, on, on them and what's their their key operations?
0: Certainly, John. Um, uh, so, Batm uh, Batm Advanced Communications, Epico BVC. The shares are currently trading at forty-nine and a half p, having traded as high on the year as as ninety-five p. Um, so, very much at year lows, uh, which is. A mystery. Well, it's not a mystery. We, I'll come to. Uh, I'll come on to that in a second. But what BATM do? Um, they're an Israel-based company. They're a provider of real-time technology for networking and biomedical systems. Now, the biomedical systems uh, entails diagnostic laboratory equipment, um, which is uh, w- w- which is sold to emerging markets such as China, Russia, and South America. Um, it developed. It develops products to treat biological waste in the pharmaceutical industry and and agriculture um, and is also an investor. um, The biomedical uh, uh, sector is also um, an investor and partner into molecular biotechnology projects. Um, In particular, the the flagship project is ADOR, which the company owns 37% of, which is developing molecular biology solutions to provide rapid testing for bacterial viral fungal infections using uh, DNA and RNA su- uh, sampling and it's been used very successfully with uh, Covid testing uh, it's a rapid test for Covid um, and the company announced um, in December last year it had sold its first Covid-19 tests to, 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 to Russia so very much a burgeoning part of, of, of the business so the networking and cyber division uh, uh, provides what's referred to as network function visual, visualization for both wireline, cloud, 5G, um, and, uh, and advanced um, connectivity and uh, networking systems. Um, it provides carry Ethernet, MPLS access solutions. Uh, and cyber network monitoring, which is used by government organisations in the in Europe um, and and the and the Asia Pacific region, um, the the company has made good progress over the, over the uh, the past few months. Um, if we go back to the interims in August last year, um, BATM announced it had grown biomedical revenues by ten percent to fifty five million. Uh, driven largely by COVID kit sales, um, improved its gross margin to 37.5% from 31%. Networking and cyber division revenues fell following the sale of uh, uh, um, NGSoft, but it realized a capital gain of $13 million from that and the, the division still turned over $16.5 million with it. So delivering overall underlying revenue growth of 8%. But the company said at that point, it's got a very strong order book. And we're seeing sustained demands for its diagnostics. Um, and it expects to deliver revenues and EBITDA substantially ahead of market expectations with growth of over 40% year on year. Um, so we're in the run up now to those full year results. Um, so you think, well, given the progress to date, that the share price would be certainly uh, pushing year highest. But obviously, we've seen this fall back. Um, and there's a very simple reason for that. Um, the the company uh, underwent a FTSE nationality re- review, um, and it was decided that FTSE Russell uh, uh, decided to reassign uh, the BAT, BATM uh, uh, nationality back to Israel from March 22nd, just uh, after reviewing its both its domicile uh, and its dual listing on the Tel Aviv uh, Stock Exchange. Um, th- that's had no material effect on the business whatsoever, but um, it does seem that, um, uh, looking across uh, several of the leading bulletin boards, that um, a group of people took that as an opportunity to uh, to spread some rumors about the company and falsehoods, which uh, engaged uh, some of so, so some of the people in that group in short selling. So it provided it, it created some downward pressure on the share price totally unfounded. And I think you'll see in the coming weeks that um, the company is going to uh, uh, it, it will be uh, reporting to the market and uh, um you know, th- there's every indication that uh, the uh, financial performance that uh, we've seen already from the biomedical division and the network and cyber division will be continuing on course. Um, just to say a couple of uh, uh, words about the board. Gideon Ch- Chitayat is the non-exec chairman. Um, he's, uh, he's 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 he serves on the board of many industries um, and Israel Aircraft Industries, and is a senior consultant uh, uh, across. Uh, a, a number of uh, uh, de- um, government departments in Israel, and also he's a professor at Tel Aviv University um, as well. Uh, Zvi Maram is the founder and CEO of the company. A f- former lieutenant in the Israeli Navy, he is uh, he's he's basically driven the company. Um, he's also a director of Shore Capital uh, uh, in the UK. Um, uh, it's a UK company, listed in meter in fact, um, and uh, he's uh, he, he's been a director at the forefront of BATM, driving the company forward. So, in short, um, there's, in my opinion, no reason for the share price to be down where it is. So, um, it, it it has created an opportunity, I think, to pick up a quality stock that's cash generative um, and fast growing in um, in a number of areas so uh, there's a very good spread of risk from a, an investing standpoint added to which the company also pays a dividend of
1: 1.5%. Indeed that that's particularly exciting just looking at the news flow as you've highlighted there you know that they've got a lot going on there as a as a company and yes you know obviously the nationality review has probably spooked the market more than anything, but a very good point that you make there, Alan. In this, has done nothing to change the underlying fundamentals and operations of of the business. So, one that uh, maybe investors should have a have a look at and you know have a look through their recent announcements and what they're actually doing as a company, because that looks particularly. Interesting. So as a recap of the stocks we discussed today, first up was Barrett Development with a ticker of BDEV. It was then GlaxoSmithKline with a ticker of GSK. It was then Sovereign Metals with a ticker of SVML. And at the end was BTAM Advanced Communications with a ticker of BVC. Alan, thank you much for being on the podcast today.
0: Thank you, Jonathan.
1: So just as a note to listeners, as I mentioned, Sovereign Metals will be presenting at the UK Investor Magazine's Metals and Mining Conference coming up on the 22nd of February. Do check out the notes of this podcast and our events section for details of how to sign up for that. Thank you very much.